My native city is after my own image. Through Tarfun Street, our alley led to the Alliance School, and between home and the schoolyard, the atmosphere remained familiar, all of a piece. We were among Jews of the same class, and we had no painful awareness of our situation, no pretenses. At school, we persisted in speaking our own dialect, despite the director's posters, which demanded French. Sometimes I crossed a Muslim quarter as if I were fording a river. It was not until I began attending the lycée that I really became acquainted with the city. Until then, I had believed that, by some special privilege, the doors of the world were being opened to me, and that I need only walk through them to be greeted with joy. But I discovered I was doomed forever to be an outsider in my own native city, and one's hometown can no more be replaced than one's mother. That was Ursula Lindsay reading from The Pillar of Salt by Albert Memmi, translated from the French, and I'm momentarily not remembering by whom, but we will uh, have that later. And this is the Bullock Podcast, episode 58. I am Marshalings Quayley, coming to you from Rabat, Morocco, as usual, and Ursula is in Jordan. Hello, Ursula. Hi, Marsha. And do you remember the name of the translator? No, I don't either, but I'm going to I'm going to look it up. We'll say it at the end and we'll put it in the show notes. All right. Um so I had not read this this book before we decided we wanted to talk about it on this episode. And in fact, it had been a long time since I'd thought about Memi at, at at all, honestly, uh, until he he died this this May of 2020. Yeah, I have had this book um on my list of books that I've wanted to read for a really long time without being like sort of a hundred percent sure without anything really pushing me to make it a priority, like without being sure, I guess what, how good it was. Mm. Um, and, uh, I think for both of us, what pushed us to finally read it, maybe for me, at least it was Adam Schatz's, um, article about Memmi in the London Review of Books a while back, which just made him sound like such an interesting figure that, uh, that I figured, okay, look, I, I really need to check this, this book out. Um, and, uh, yes, yeah, so he'd sort of always kind of been there on my list without me. And then I, I personally was surprised by how good it was. I think it's a really good, I'm, I'm surprised I never read it. I think for a book of this quality, um, I'm I'm surprised I had never come across it before. Right. I, I guess um I, I'm not surprised. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there are many, many brilliant books that I haven't come across. But um but I was I was delighted. How about that? Um Yeah. And but yeah, it, it also it was Adam Schatz's essay about the sort of sweep I mean, I guess uh, for somebody who was born in December of nineteen twenty and who, who passed in May of 2020, and who wrote and published for many of those years. This, the sweep of his life is also very broad. Um, and the way in which he's been received, I think, it is also very different and, and broad. And I was, <laughs> I'm also reading in my, my free time, in my joy guilty pleasure, whatever it is, reading time, the, the old drift by Namorle Serpel. And, and, and it said in 
mostly in, in Zambia. And, and there's a point in the 1960s where, um, where sort of Marxist-Leninist revolutionaries are shifting away and trying to, and reading more African authors, such as, they say, Fanon and Memmi. And, and, mm. uh, and <laughs> I just particularly was like, oh, Memmi, here he is in, in the mid-1960s in, in Zambia. Well, so, I mean, I think that he was more famous and more influential in the 60s and 70s, certainly than he is today, right? Like his his reputation and his renown have sort of faded. Um, and And this novel, The Pillar of Salt, was his sort of breakthrough, very autobiographical um, first novel and um, very much part of like a trend. I mean, part of a pattern of, I mean, it made me think very much um, of uh, Dries Schreiber's first novel. Yeah. uh, the simple past, which we have dedicated a whole episode to. So it's the story of, of an artist and a writer emerging as colonialism ends, um, and in conflict with, uh, you know, his family and tradition and community, um, and, and sort of trying to find, a new identity. Maybe we should go through the book a little bit and talk about sort of, because it's also a very rich book. Like it has so much in it. It has his childhood. It has his education. It has the war. Like there's just all these different huge personal and historical developments. Um, yeah, I did. You- I did feel that there were like, so it, overall it is a buildings roman published in 1953 when he was a relatively young man um but i did feel that there were sort of other genres inside this inside the novel um you know and there was a you know a world war ii um camp narrative inside this this novel in addition to some other uh, forms so but and that, that's that comes to end yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's 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 like a good, you know, there's almost there's like a mini war story or so, sort of series of stories from the war. But the I was struck by how beautiful the writing about his childhood is. Like, it's so evocative, and um, although he describes very humble living circumstances, um, so he you know he he came from a, a family of. Uh, a large family. I, th- I think he has 12 siblings, but only eight of them uh, survived and uh, that lived on the edge of the Jewish ghetto in Tunis, so not not quite in the ghetto, but but sort of nearby. And his father was a tanner. But, but the descriptions are actually um, of, of, of the room, of the family routines, of the building, of breakfast. They're beautiful. Um, it really conveys the sort of like childhood universe that is like safe and, and beloved. And, um, I thought that was a big yeah, the, contrast. The shift, the shift in how the parents are to the youngest, um, the, the way he masters perceiving, showing us through his own eyes of the moment is really 
wonderful because the shift in who the parents are, the mother and the father are, to a small child, to who they are to a a ten year old, uh, to who they are once he is twenty two, are right. They appear so differently, Um, and um, and I. I love his parents. <laughs> I, I think, in, to me, um, his family is one of those great. He, he makes them so sympathetic, even though he's not sympathetic toward them. I don't like the main character, in terms, in those sort of very banal terms of as I'm reading. I definitely would not want to hang out with this person. I don't enjoy him or his opinions or his way of looking at the world. But I, I think it's so beautifully crafted because I do love his his parents <laughs> and obviously you know the same person who wrote the narrator created those parents who the narrator scorns right although he's able clearly I mean um it, because it's the same I mean I mean clearly he's able to remember and to I think when he when he describes that scorn, the scorn he felt as a teenager, he's already doing it as an older writer who is no longer feeling those feelings, right? He's just right. showing you his alienation. I mean, like, you know, obviously all teenagers or most 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 of them look down on their parents. In his case, um so he moves from this uh from this comfortable childhood in which he's surrounded also he's the oldest boy in the family uh he's quite aware of his like privileged position in in that sense um and 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 then he the great break as it is for so many of his generation is when he begins attending the french school right although the even the greater break to me was when he's when he goes away to camp (laughs) because then he really truly is away from his parents right so there's a summer camp which is actually sort of deeply unfun (laughs) where where he which is his first experience of sort of enforced independence uh he's not he's not happy there at all uh and um but but then in terms of his deteriorating relationship with his parents it's also because uh, he goes to school and he is a brilliant student and um, he, he, at some point, it's not a hundred percent clear where it just sort of happens. He becomes um, very alienated from his family and from his background and very determined to succeed on the terms of the French school system and to sort of leave behind um, all these things that he looks down on uh, in his background, and I guess this is what you don't like about him. I mean, he's this. Well, so so, um, uh, uh, there are many things that I don't like about him. But Adam writes about Memmi's political sympathy with the dominated, and and I think the the narrator of this of this book also has um, a, a political sympathy with the dominated, and I do sympathize with him, of course. I did find a way to like him at the end. Um, but I think he has this aesthetic sympathy uh, with the dominators. Um, you, you know, he, he, he scorns his, his mother. And, and this, the, you know, the scene where he brings his, 
um, his teacher, his French philosophy teacher in. And he's he's so mortified about his mother. So I and so of course I identify with this sort of sloppy, slovenly, um, hair permed, looks ridiculous mother. Um, obviously far far more than I could ever identify with a, you know, brilliant young man destined for for great things. But to me, the moment when he breaks with his family is is so much about that summer camp because it's where he first realized to me the character that his his father's not all powerful. So in those early scenes his parents are like sort of they could do anything. They can save anything. They're sort of these all powerful beings um who can completely encompass and comfort and take care of him. But at the summer camp he's so unhappy there and he but he just keeps in his mind that if if he were to write his father he's he saves himself by saying if I were to write my father my father would come and rescue me. My father would come and save me. And then finally he pulls out that, you know, he's so sick of this stupid, <laughs> oppressive summer camp with crappy food and, and, um, and, and like violence and neglect. I mean, it sounds like a pretty terrible camp, right? It's like exactly. run by young soldiers who don't want to pay any attention to the kids. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like young soldier camp, I guess. Um, yeah, but where they're not even that interested in turning the kids into young soldiers, they just go, you know. Um, so he pulls out the stop, he writes his father a letter saying, I can't take it, come get me, save me, daddy. And his father comes, and then he comes out of this this meeting. It's It's as if his father tried to get him out, but his father somehow couldn't manage to stand up to the the head of the camp and say, I'm taking my son home. And so to me, it was that moment where he realizes that his father is, is not able to stand up for him in the way that he wants his father to be powerful. But why does that make him unsympathetic? Why does that make the, the young boy unsympathetic? Yeah. No, I mean, I mean that, that moment, I think, it does not make him unsympathetic. It's It's his constant... Um, it's his um, complete aesthetic identification with his, with the French, the French schooling, um, uh, the French philosophy, the French way of being, and his scorn for, um, for, for the for the Jews of that he who he with whom he grows up. Uh, in addition to the Jewish middle class, in addition to um, the, the the Muslims who who live there. So whatever an, whatever anger he feels, or whatever unfairness, whatever clear eyedness he feels towards the French colonial power, he he aesthetically that's who he wants to be. That's who he completely sympathizes with. He thinks there's something fundamentally wrong with with the ways in which the people he grew up around were. So I'm going to counter argue to this a little sure. bit. All right. So I think, I think you're largely right, right? So he has this huge identification more than anything else I would say with the French language, right? Like, um, I mean, it becomes the only language in which he is a hundred percent comfortable expressing himself and the full range of his thoughts. Um, and his whole 
professional ambitions become, you know, to study at French university, to emigrate, I think, uh, um, all his sort of intellectual ambitions are within the French system. And yes, I think also he, he likes the idea of, I mean, because French colonialism represented power i think that's what you're getting at too like so all the forms of being french were forms of being powerful socially culturally economically right to right. to dress like the french to live like the french meant to be in to have power um but i think the relationship is a lot more ambiguous i mean when he when he brings his professor home to meet him to, to meet his mother he takes the initiative to bring him home he wants him to meet his mother he's not trying to hide his mother he has this impulse where he wants the philosophy professor from his high school who he admires to meet his mother and then of course it's awkward and and sort of mortifying but i read it as it's also mortifying that the they both don't quite know how to communicate with each other. And these, they're, they're these two sides of his life that can't come into contact, but he wants them to for a moment. I right. mean, but which and, one does he have scorn for? He has scorn. Which I one does he look down on? He definitely looks down on his mother for not speaking French. He doesn't look down on his professor for not knowing Judeo Arabic. I wouldn't go so far as to say that he looks down on his mother for not speaking French. I think that he feels more and more unable to connect with his mother. And that, he makes fun of her way, her hair and her way, her way of dressing and her way of but being. This to me is, but, this, but this to me is the strength of the book, is the honesty about these negative feelings. Like if he, if this was a story about a young man who was never embarrassed by his parents, who never daydreamed of like living like a colonialist, like it would be a much less true book. Like, sure, I'm not. Makes... Uh, yeah, absolutely. But I just, I'm saying I don't like this young man. <laughs> I'm saying well, to me, it made him a more compelling character. Like if he had been someone who never went through these kinds of, uh, of, you know, less than ideal um, feelings, I, he would be like not a true person. I think. I think if you're going to depict the effect that colonialism has on an individual, then 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 he does it so well because, and on a particularly driven individual, because it is also kind of amazing the the degree of kind of concentration and ambition that that this character has um, to. I mean, to the point where that's almost the thing that's that's the least likable and least human about him. He he's incapable for years and years of the story of experiencing hardly any joy because all he can do is kind of pursue this dream of becoming somebody else or or getting out, and at the same time is made miserable by you know finding himself with no identity again and again and again. I mean, he feels initially that it doesn't really fit in as, as, uh, as a Jew in a colonized Muslim country. And then in every attempt that he has to sort of build a new identity, they also ultimately fail him. And the philosophy professor at the end of the book also fails him. I wouldn't say that his admiration for him remains intact either. So, but yes, I think the philosophy professor clearly fails him more than anyone. And, and this, I think, has a, a profound effect on, on the narrator. And 
and how I see Memmi's own trajectory if we see this as an autobiographical novel. But he never, I think he never leaves this. Of course, yes, a teenager scorns their parents. I'm sure I had, yes, uh, I had terribly um, unkind thoughts about my my parents as a teenager, uh, as do so many people. But he never, I think, I feel like he never, <laughs> to me, I read this 2014 book that Adam Schatz talks about in his, um, in his on Albert Memmi for the LRB. <laughs> As part of this trajectory of, he's still scorning, he's, he's like looking down on, he never moves away from aesthetically scorning um, the non-French Tunisians, he, even though, of course, he doesn't belong to the French, and and they, they betray him deeply during World War Two. Um, I mean, he's pretty clear on that 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 the French betray him. That they I mean he gets he gets sent to labor camps by the Vichy government, and then uh, and then when he gets out, uh, they won't take him into the Free French Army. Right. They won't take Jews. Although, yeah. interestingly, uh, one of the things that I liked best about him is that he chose to go to the labor camp. He, as, as a sort of, you know, member of the local elite, apparently, at least in the, in the novel, could have gotten out of the labor camp. But it was his choice to go join, um, you know, as he portrays it, a foolish and useless choice, but his choice to go join these incredibly violent and awful and everything you would think of labor camps, labor camps. And, and then he's trying to, um, you know, bring hope and, and organize the, the, the men in the labor camps. And this is when, this is when I did find that I, I, I sympathized with and, and enjoyed and loved this character for this, this insane. And he knows it, every minute that he's doing it, he knows how useless what he's doing is that he's uh, attempting to, uh, you know, sort of somehow organize hope in, in the labor camp. Well, he's attempting to live his socialist ideals kind of, I mean, that's why he volunteers to go in the first place. And then he thinks he can, I mean, what I appreciate about the book is how clear eyed it is you know, including this scene where, where he's trying to, you know, uh, fulfill the role of the committed intellectual who will help like connect with the masses and help lift their spirits in the labor camp. And then like realizes almost immediately that, that he, he's one like incapable of really getting these men's trust and two, that there's very little that he can do uh, to help their situation. But of course it's an incredibly brave thing that, that, that he does to, to volunteer to go to the camp in the in the first place, uh, I mean, I find sort of something quite touching in the sort of extremeness and intensity of this character, who, you know, is always sort of doing everything kind of a hundred and fifty percent. Yes. Um, yeah. He he, and I, and I and again, I think you know the the book overall you know, because it does contain those early scenes of the family life is, is not an indictment of that life or those people. 
it's it's a kind of diagnosis of the of the position that he finds himself in of being alienated from that life and alienated from the sort of uh identity that that a french education supposedly promises him i mean the descriptions of how socioeconomically out of place he is at school are also very touching like he never fits in anywhere Right, right. Well, and all, uh, I guess to me the opposite. Like his, he says at some point that he has no sense of humor, and his sort of desperate earnestness, and even his one right. love, his one love affair. There's no love in it. There's no falling right. in anything. It's like the striving to have this middle class, is appropriate middle class girlfriend, um, who might turn into an appropriate wife for him. Uh, that contains absolutely no love, pleasure, or joy whatsoever. I, I did find that charming, <laughs> in its, in its extremeness. Yeah, I mean, so you say he's he says he has a sense of humor. That actually, yeah, that I, I underlined that quote too. He says, "What could I be sure of?" Before one scoffs at national pride and the fatherland, at wealth and good manners, love of one's country, family, and traditions, one must have arrived at a proper evaluation of one's country, have had enough to eat, and have received a good education. Then one can look on from afar and make wisecracks. But I have no sense of humor and not enough courage to be cynical. Yeah, right. Which is just one of many, like, there's also a lot of very striking um uh passages that that describe the the problem the of the of the of the narrator's position um of uh of of his of this this, this seemingly insoluble problem of being many things at once and um which which is something that we don't necessarily consider to be a problem these days in a lot of places, right? I mean, it's, I don't think anymore having, not having a singular identity is, you know, he really sees it in this story as, as a drama, as a curse almost. Right, right. And he, and he could, but he also, it's, it's all these things that he doesn't belong to. He, he can't choose any of them. So, um, even the things that he could the there are places where he could belong and he doesn't want to belong to, and then the places where he wants to belong to don't want him to belong to them. So he right. finds himself in this in this in between place. And so there's this this passage that I'd like to read from that is maybe not one of the most beautiful passages, but I found it so interesting. Um, and, and then particularly how it reflects on some of the elements in, in Adam's essay. Um, and so I'm going to just read from it now. During the recess, Ben Saman joined me and said he wished to talk with me alone. I said I was prepared to listen, but he frowned with his eyes almost closed in his broad face and said mysteriously that he would rather we went somewhere out of the way. So we made a date to meet in town. He then told me he was the local secretary of a political youth movement composed only of native Africans and asked me to join it. I was delighted, but a little embarrassed. Of course, I suffered from my growing awareness that I was alien in the eyes of Europeans, but it had not yet occurred to me to make a move toward the Muslims, for I thought this road is closed. 
Precisely, said Benzman. That is something new in our program. We would like to have some Jews, too, so as to express the aspirations of the whole Tunisian nation. But are we a part of the nation? Of course you are. Where was your father born? And your grandfather? Have you ever had any other nationality in the last few centuries? No. Then there you are. It's true, I said, that I was born here like my father and all my ancestors, and I've never been out of this country since my birth. You consider that we belong to the same nation. But what about the others, Benzman? What about the others? I'm afraid that to them we may still be foreigners. Maybe the times have changed. But there's a job for those of us who know how to speak and explain and convince. We must promote unity among all the native sons of the country and make them act according to their own conscience. Why should we do without the help of Jews who are an important part of the population and a particularly active, clever and powerful one? That last part of his sentence did not please me. What could he mean by clever and powerful? I preferred to think that his words have been tactlessly chosen. I can only agree, but I must admit that I'm a pessimist. One cannot force oneself to be accepted as a relative or even as a neighbor. That is the opinion of many Jews for whom the only solution is Zionism. He stopped me with both hands and a scornful expression on his mouth that was as small as his eyes. He curled his lips to express his indignation and disagreement. Zionism, leave that alone. It's a utopia and one that will arouse the whole Arab world. What could a handful of madmen do against the whole Arab world? No, let us put aside what would split us apart and look only to what can bring us together. I mean, I find conversations like this, I find uh, part of what's really interesting about the book and I and about the whole like figure of Memmi himself, because so much of his writing is like grappling with these questions of um how to do post-colonialism basically like how 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 to i mean first so so we should say that he wrote this he participated i mean he went back to tunisia uh himself the author after he was what did go to university in france um and then uh went back taught at the same high school that he had attended in tunis and and supported the national liberation movement in tunisia even while having a lot of misgivings, I guess, I don't think that's too strong of a word or, um, feeling that it wasn't necessarily in his self interest per se, that he was not building a country for himself. Right. That he might find even less of a place for himself, uh, in Tunisia than he had had before under colonialism, but feeling that it was nonetheless the principled stance to do to support this struggle um, and, and again, I think Adam Schatz's article lays out really, really well, as he so often does in his profiles is, is unpack these like very complicated political, historical, intellectual knots that, that individuals find themselves in. Right. And contrasting um, him with, for instance, the stance of Eldar Camus, um, who would not, who continued to support a French Algeria and, and, and particularly how Camus says, you know, the, the poor whites are in the same position as, as, the, um, as, as the Arabs who live there. And Memmi saying, he observed, the, the poor whites are in, in a better position in many ways, you know, be, being sort of the object of the story than, than any, any Arab, no matter how wealthy. So I, I think he, he, yeah, he paints this picture of many people's 
class analysis, making them blind to the colonial analysis and, and the, and the an analysis of colonial racism that Memi was not blind, not at all blind to. Uh, yeah, and it and also it, it's true that in fact there there was no place um, for a variety of reasons for for Jews in in post colonial Tunisia. I mean, and but the establishment of the state of Israel and the wars, the Arab Israeli wars, have to also factor into that. But as in many other Arab countries, the Jewish population of Tunisia went from a hundred thousand to like one thousand today. There was, in fact, the whole community he he belonged to there disappeared over the course of a generation. Um, so it, it's 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 true in a way um, that there was nowhere for them there. But then the the factor and and Schatz's article gets into this too that one of course one of the absolutely you know contributing factors to this was the establishment of Israel. Um, because of course it created animosity, it created fear. Um, and, but Memi himself had a blind spot where Israel is concerned, it seems, uh, from, from, from what Chat says of his writing and in all his analysis of domination, the one domination that he did not look at with very clear eyes was Israeli domination of Palestinians. Right. And I, I think it, it's interesting in connection with this book for so many reasons. And I think both Sartre and Camus, Adam Schatz quotes them in this, in this article as suggesting that Memi was sort of not really Jewish because he was not religiously Jewish and not a part of the community. But I think in this, in this book, he, he is he's very much part of the community. Um, and that is the identity that he that he finds for himself and and he does see a value to that communalism and that communal identity and it seems like a chosen blind spot i feel that you, there's that that interview that adam Schatz quotes from where he's he says well yes 2000 those 2000 people should not have died um in castellet or whatever i can't remember where which um, aggression but Oh, there were so many more people who died in Rwanda. Like, wow, that is some really weird anti-intellectual whataboutism from somebody who is clearly intensely intelligent and capable of seeing differently. And, and yet, I mean, we see people of great intelligence do that all the time because because these feelings trump everything, I think, um, because we don't approach all questions in life rationally um and i don't know if you're talking about him as an individual or the character who who in the end finds value in the community i would say that the the character in any case finds that in some way he of course he can't escape really escape his own upbringing his own city his own family like no matter how how far he does run and and also he can't escape anti-semitism because that is always around him and, and directed at him, you know, in ways that almost kill him at certain points in the book. Um, so, of course, in some way, there's no way to escape that identity. But whereas he has this, as, as a 
as an intellectual later on who who went on after this novel to write uh, these books that um, that are called a uh, portrait of the the colonizer and the colonized. I right. think in English. Yes. Um, and and that and that you know. Um, and who was very clear on the fact that, like, even if there isn't a place for me, I must support this struggle for these reasons. Who was very critical of, like, left lefty colonists who couldn't go as far as to condemn colonialism. Right. Um, who, who wrote, uh, you know, the choice isn't between good and evil, but evil and uneasiness. And therefore his place is uneasiness. You know, but not evil. Right, right. right. <laughs> I, I mean, he had he he actually. I I like the things I read in this article very much, and I would very much like to read both his book, uh, the these portraits of the colonizer and the colonized, and this book he wrote uh, called Tunisie Un Un, the first Tunisia Year One. Yes, about the first his, year post independence. I was most interested in reading that since that is a um, a journal that he that he kept. Yeah, I think it would be fascinating because I do I do appreciate what an unromantic and unvarnished uh, view he had of, you know, what this struggle and taking a position on this struggle might entail. You know, you might lose things. That's the price to pay. That's all right. That's that's um, you know that doesn't uh, take anything away from 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 the position. Um, I, I mean, there's a couple of quotes from him in the Shas piece when he says, we have to help the North Africans win their freedom, even if this freedom not only doesn't benefit us, but even risks injuring us. Historical responsibility and interests don't always coincide. The rest is infantilism. Which is, again, so, like, cutting and sort of feels like part of his personality. Right, you know, right. like, you know, all you children can pretend that there's some place in which doing the right thing and doing the thing that's right for you line up. But, you right. know, but, I'm not in that world of delusions, you know? But us clear the table for us grown-ups, please. Yeah. yeah. I, I, because of the way Adam Schett structures this article, I, I saw that as pointed to Albert Camus, of course. Um, there were many more people, obviously, in Memmi's life than just Camus. But, um, but he's also not at all romantic about the post-colonial uh, governments and about Na you know, he also has a quote that says there is less distance between nationalism and fascism than there is between nationalism and revolution. But see, then there, that's where, okay, so ben, then by 2014, I think he does become romantic in the, in the anti-romantic sense. He says they're even greedier than the colonialists were, that this portrait, and now I haven't read this 2014 book that um, that Adam Schatz writes about in his essay, but it seems to be a very, oh, these terrible colonialists, look what they did to, dis in, to disappoint me in this post-colonial age. Um, they have not, it, everything is even worse than I imagined. Um, it, it does not read to me as, you know, <laughs> simply reading it through Adam's description, but it does not seem to me as clear-eyed as he was in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Well, you have to admit those post-colonial regimes were pretty awful. I I'm mean, not saying it's not awful. It just seems full of generous, much like, so I'm, I have on my desk also Adrift by Amin Ralouf, full of sort of just generalizations. Oh, it's even worse. They're even greedier. Like, really, are they greedier? What does that mean even? <laughs> um, uh, it, it just, 
the way in which he seems to sort of dismiss post-colonial um, Arab North Africa just seems um, unspecific. I suppose I'd have to read a lot more. I mean, I think, again, I think I'm more, I think the thing I find the least forgivable, uh, again, is to not apply uh, the analysis of colonialism to the Israeli-Palestinian question. Like, that seems to me such a clear, uh, you know, avoidance on the part of someone who like seemingly never avoided saying what he thought. Um, uh, But on someone who supported, you know, national liberation and then, you know, uh, 30 years later, you know, three years after the Arab Spring, uh, talks about how awful uh, these, you know, military, these military dictatorships turned out to be like, I don't know. I think I'd give him a pass. I mean, I don't think there's much to be gained by arguing whether things were. No, I think to sort of get into the was were they better or worse under colonialism? Like, obviously, since colonialism itself is like an indefensible institution and system, like there's no point to that argument unless you're making it in bad faith. But I'm not sure if that's what he was saying. It, yeah, I mean, but I'd, so I'd have in, to... uh, I, OK, so I don't know. Um, I can talk. I can talk a lot. I can talk a lot about this book, but but he, he Adam also says that you know he was very dismissive of the Tunisian uprising. I just got this picture of this old man who was like, um, I don't know. Um, he he'd gone Crotchety. whatever, and then it, of course he's lived so many years in in France and um, among French people. Um, I don't yeah, know. I mean, it's it seems like he there was a there was a, um, a lack of empathy um, with a with a, with a number with 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 the children of immigrants in France. Oh yes, the zombies. With, that was that was with, startling to me actually in its in its dismissiveness. Right, right. I mean, and and he's. I mean. He's a he's a crabby young man, so he must have been an extremely crabby old man. <laughs> I mean, and and people's trajectories tend to go in that direction um, of of becoming less and less satisfied uh, with the world generally and with the endeavors of others, and less patient with any of their demands or complaints. Right. Um, right. Uh, the young and, people these and, days, they're hip hop. And their struggles are never as valid as 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 one's own struggles when one was young. It seems um, right. I mean, it is startling that someone who sort of spent so much time talking about his suffering being caught in between cultures has seen. I mean, from this one quote, seems to have so little sympathy for this that that a similar struggle on the part of of the of of second or third generation. North African French uh, youth, but um, and to use such like lazy thinking of, well, why don't they just stop dealing drugs and listening to this music? I don't like. Uh, I mean, yeah, that's really just like an old guy in front of his house on his lawn. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> um, but again, I'd I'd like to I'd like to read the books, and I, I think you know, 
really, I thought the, I think the novel's extremely powerful. And like I said, it's sort of, to me, it's in conversation with similar works from that time from other North African countries. I also thought, although it's, it's, it's always, it has its own vein completely, its own tone, but Beer in the Snooker Club, of course, also has a character who is caught between cultures, except that he kind of makes, you know, he does have this Egyptian novel. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. He has, a, he has a lot of humor. It's a tragic comedy rather than just a tragedy. Um, and again, Dries Schreiber's A Simple Past, which is such an angry, angry, angry book, mm. much angrier than this, in fact, at least vis-a-vis the family, right? Like Schreiber's book is right. just yeah. this complete, like just vomiting out of like anger and hate. I mean, in this beautiful language, actually, against his father, especially. And with, I mean, talk about a book where sees nothing of value uh in in the in the traditional culture and the family culture right like yeah whereas by comparison memmi's book you know is a much more like loving portrait and you do respect his parents and and even though the young man i loved his parents i thought his parents i wanted his parents to be my parents and they're hardworking. They're oh. cheerful. They have these incredible moments of grace. Uh, you, uh, you know, his illiterate mother has 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 wonderful, you know, wisdom. Uh, and uh, the way and she keeps clearly... starting over, she starts her own business at the end, which you know, right? He has only which scorn she for, but. <laughs> Right, of course, but I think that scorn again. I think that scorn is 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 portrayed by the author already with an awareness of how misguided it is. Well, I mean, certainly he, if he really felt complete scorn for his parents, the real author, I he would not have been able to create a portrait of two people who I loved so deeply. So yes, in right. a sense, I, I, you are obviously correct. Um, well, one of the things I really, I, I just thought the novel was so big, you know, it begins with this world in which the parents are immense and in this completely safe world of his childhood. And it takes us through so many different planets of life, including that terrifying planet at the, at the end of, of the labor camps, the concentration camps. And, and the, yeah. and the, very frightening escape that he finally makes. And then even that, after that, the depressing choices that, that sit in front of him personally, what can he do now with his life? And also I would say, um, I, I read it in English. I would I intended to read it in French, but in the end I was happy to have read the translation, which is by the way, by Edouard Roditi. Uh, okay. Thank you. Um, and which I think is quite good. I think it reads, quite well in English. Um, I mean, uh, again, I didn't, I didn't read the, the French original, but, uh, I'm, you know, from the translation, I found myself underlining lots of passages. Uh, uh, I mean, I, it, it, it's, there's, there's a lot of like really, you know, beautiful and sharp, uh, images and scenes. Um, so, uh, it, it seems, uh, like a successful translation too. Yeah, no, I enjoy, I also, although I'm still not used to write, reading on this Kindle, and so I was constantly annoyed by it said, 56 other people have highlighted this passage. Like, well, I don't <laughs> care. I don't think that that passage is significant. 
for me, it's actually like a disincentive. (laughs) I feel like it's a disincentive to highlight something that you might have if other people have, you know, like, well, everybody's already highlighted that. I want to, you know, it's already in there as a note practically to you. Like, I find that very like, disconcerting it's like you know getting a library book but not it's not only one one other person's underlines which might be charming but it's like it's like this is what the popular kids thought was important about this book right right sometimes you get one other person who had like really strong opinions I always find that funny you know when you get a book and it's like Things are underlined with like a lot of energy and there's like exclamation points and kind of like, what did he mean here? Kind of like notes to oneself where you can tell that the person like really engaged with the book and had like strong feelings about it. Yeah, I like I like reading one other person's notes, but I find this like or it specifically tells me 37 other people underlined this passage. Okay, fine. 37 other people have banal ideas about this book. That's not what I want to underline. Right. Right. Yeah. But so you're reading on a Kindle. This is new to you? Um, I really... You usually a, read on an iPad? Um, I, well, I, I usually read either, I, I prefer, I prefer print books, or if I can't, I usually read them on my laptop, but I'm trying to, you know, <laughs> distance myself a little bit from my laptop. Um, so I'm trying to read yeah. on, on this e-reader instead. Um, on the Kindle app. And particularly I've been, it's been harder and harder to get physical copies of books in the last, well, how, however long we've been in COVID land. Yeah. I would have liked to have had a hard copy of this book. Yeah. It feels like particularly, particularly, I don't know why I feel this way, but a book that was published in 1953, I feel that I, I need to have a paper copy of it to have the right experience of reading it. Huh. <laughs> yeah. No, I just, I'd like to have it in my library. I think it's a good, uh, I just, I'd, I'd, I just would like to own it. Um, it sort of fits somewhere in a constellation of, of books that I find important. And, but yeah, I think it raises these questions. I mean, look how much we've, I mean, we're always interested in, in, in the, in the books that we talk about, but I think like, uh, we could go on quite a bit longer about this because it, it raises a lot of kind of like unsolved political and historical questions like yeah um you know that conversation that you uh mentioned that you read from where he's having the discussion with his muslim schoolmates about how to build this like uh you know cross-religious uh, national coalition I, I mean these questions of how to sort of like get past competing identities to form national political projects are like still relevant today. The, the, the effect of this, the effect of colonialism is still incredibly relevant today. This feelings of like inadequacy and humiliation and, uh, you know, uh, being, you know, being judged of these, these, these like evaluations of backwardness and development and so on. I mean, of course, all of this is, is still here to, to, to an extraordinary degree. Um, I also really liked several of the things that, um, that Adam wrote about, about his political philosophy, the heterophobia, um, and also this, this notion of privilege that he applies not primarily, not only as financial privilege, but the privilege of being subject to the story, the privilege, you know, the privilege that attends 
the, the white colonial subject who is the subject and not an object. Um, and, and it seemed to me, you know, from the way that this article was framed in any case, that Sartre and Camus were so naive about believing in this kind of very straightforward class intersectionalism of we're just going to all see that we can build a better future together without understanding these deep inequalities that attend not just class, but also other forms of privilege. Right. I mean, this the way that he, the way that Memmi insisted on um, the psychological wound that the long-lasting, I think, psychological wound um, that colonialism can inflict and the repercussions that that can have, right? Because his argument, I mean, I haven't read the the portraits of the colonizer and the colonized, so I'm, I'm taking this from the article that Adam wrote and also from the novel itself, which, right. got, which I think dramatizes, like this, you know, desperate individual struggle to somehow get out from under all these feelings of inadequacy. Right. Yeah, it's a really um, interesting sort of constellation of philosophy, right? So he writes um, nonfiction sort of um, description of his philosophical positions, but also the, the novels... Uh, the autobiographical novels also go to creating this constellation of thought. I yeah, think they all I, fit together. Yeah, yeah, and it all seems to be very much, um, you know, flowing out of his of his life experience. Which, I mean, which if you assume is more or less the life of the of the narrator of this novel, like was an incredibly dramatic first 20 years of life. I mean, yeah, definitely. Not 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 only I mean that generation and the shifts that 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 that, that people lived through um it's sort of hard to overstate, right? Um all, all the changes, the enormous changes that the end of colonialism brought about. I mean, that colonialism brought about in the first place, but you'd have to go back further, which was probably even more traumatic. Right. Um, and then also then, what World War II wrought as well. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so the, the line right after the passage I read, um, the narrator is speaking again. And he said, he says, I did not know what then what to think of Zionism, but such a rapid condemnation hurt me. And, and the implied threat particularly shocked me. So it's interesting too that he's sort of embedding in this um, in this narrator. Um, he never then uh, he never really tells us later what he thinks of of Zionism. But it's it's like he's embedding in this narrator. I didn't know what I thought then. I feel like it's implied that later, although it's not written in the book, he does know what he thinks of it. I don't know. I mean, this book was published, was written in the 50s and published in the 60s, I think, if I, I think remember it, correctly. Uh, I think, well, Adam said it was published in 1953. And when I looked in Google, it oh. said 1955. So <laughs> I don't know. Okay, so so published in the 50s. I got the decade wrong. Um, I thought he had published it later. Um, 
Yeah. So also what he thought of, I mean, because Zionism itself, or the or let's say at least this, its manifestation, the state of Israel, like changed so much over those decades. Who knows if what he thought then was what he thought later, and the uh, the thing itself may have been what it what it could have meant to a young Jew in the late forties, and what it meant to someone uh, to a French Jewish citizen in the nineteen eighties. You know what I mean? Like it's oh, just, absolutely, uh, absolutely. It, it I just feel like it's left there by by the author in a yeah. sense. I felt the voice of the author in some way, saying I didn't yeah. know then what I thought. Like. Maybe maybe the French doesn't sound the same, but to me it it sounds as if he's saying, "I do know what I think now, but I'm not telling you. It's not part of this book." The I mean, one of the things that the book manages to do is like to, introduce quite a few political questions, but in a way that 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 doesn't disrupt the the narrative that sort of is 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 very much part of the story. Um, you know, there's also his like context with sort of like upper class. Um, uh, other upper class young Jews that he knows from the high school who like invite him to that bizarre kind of um a scout party Boy scouts yeah. and <laughs> scout party where again he feels completely alienated by their kind of like middle class uh and and he finds kind of obliviousness um but, but there's a lot of gesturing to all these political issues right with the with the muslim schoolmate with the jewish schoolmates like all these and yet it's not done in a heavy handed way. It's done in the way where it's woven into the, his experience. Like it, you know? Yeah. Only um, on a second read did I start to think of him in a, in a small way as a philosophy professor crafting this novel and <laughs> embedding these mm. questions in it for me to think about. But I, yeah. you know, I, certainly on a first read, I was only taken up with the, the stories of the characters. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And and again, it's like, I'm always so happy when we do, um, or I think I'm extra happy when we do an episode and I discover something through it. Mm. Um, you know, uh, when it's just a, 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 a prompt, basically, to to go read something that I might not have otherwise. And, and then... Uh, and then the the book is is an actual sort of happy revelation, and and that was the case uh, here. Like I, uh, yeah, it's so I nice think- for me in my work life, my workbook life, whatever that is. Uh, I focus so much on new publications, new books that are out this year, mm. next month, etc. So it really makes very little time for for looking back on a book that was published in the fifties, for instance. Yeah. Cool. Well, on that note of looking back, which like also fits perfectly with the with the with the title of this book, which is about the problems of right turning quantum, around, quantum, <laughs> yeah, the problems of turning around, or as he says, I think, will I survive the contemplation of myself? Um, uh, no, maybe, we maybe, never maybe. survive anything. We all die. <laughs> well, we survive many things before we die. <laughs> ultimately Um, we don't survive the contemplation of ourselves ultimately no um well it was a pleasure as always talking to you yes and and um those of you who are listening uh please uh don't forget to subscribe to the show if you don't already um you can follow us on twitter at bulak books 
Um, you can share a comments or suggestions using the hashtag Bullock Books. Um, and uh, also, if you like the show, uh, please uh, rate and uh, share with others. Yes. I always um, feel weird about having a number of stars, but please do. It it helps boost oh, no, the... Uh, I, yeah. I, want, I want all the stars. Come on. <laughs> okay. I, I'm no different from my eight-year-old. I want the stars. <laughs> okay. Give her all, right. all the stars. Um, okay. Well, uh, so talk to you again in a couple of weeks. And uh, goodbye for now. Bye. Bye.